Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden, joined as always by former Falcons fullback Ovi Mahaley. Ovi, you weren't on the, the mailbag episode. Uh, you, we've had a little bit of time to get away from from the season. So I want to know, like, what what do you think about kind of the, the Falcons 2021 season now that you've had a little bit of time to digest it? <sighs> the more time goes by, the the better it looks, because when you see other teams lose in the playoffs, you realize there's only one real Super Bowl winner and there's no participation trophies for getting to the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, it's, that kind of feels nice, but at the end of the day, yeah. You want to win chips. You want to win championships. You, you want to uh, find a way to get that trophy into your organization. So we're not there yet, uh, obviously, but we're a lot closer to being there. And any fan who thought that, you know, we win 10 games a season like I did uh, was uh, <laughs> unfortunately misguided. So when you are able to bring yourself to reality and down to, uh, you know, just what's happening in this organization – like, all right, we're trending in the right direction. I actually talked to a fan. I was at um, one of these ho- hotels in the restaurant picking up a friend, and we were eating some fire chicken wings. And uh, I was talking about <laughs> we were watching football. And uh, he was like, man, do you even watch football after, you know, retiring from the Falcons? Some, some guy <laughs> at the bar, retiring from the Falcons? You used to be a Falcons player? I'm a season ticket holder. Oh, oh, oh hold on. Now. Are you oh, over my Haley? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I he had a big old strong country accent, and he was so excited. But I asked him how he felt about the season. He was just like, you know what? I'm just so hurt and so sad. And I had to tell him I'm telling you and telling our listeners perspective. It's all about yeah, perspective yeah. and kind of zooming out, and then you'll get feel a little better about the situation. 100%. I mean, it was like we do, we do this every single year. It's, we do. Yeah, you kind of like get the end of the season – and you realize what the situation is, the, the flaws that the team has are very crystal clear. By yeah. the time like April is rolling around, that's when you start kind of getting a little hope back in your life. And you're like, you know yeah. what? Every team, like every season, there's a team that comes out of nowhere. Why not us this year? And you start looking yeah. at all the reasons why instead yes. of all the reasons why not. But when you finish up a season, the reasons why not are right there kind of like staring you in the face but reality hits you in the face if, if, i mean if you're green bay if you're tennessee they had great seasons great they're seasons, not happy right now teams. they're not happy yeah, right that, now so exactly so yeah we can be the 49ers next year we can be the team right. that's exactly to, you know nfc championships when they have no business being there the 49ers had no business beating the cowboys and the packers number one seeds yep but they did and with the Cordero Pattersons and the hopefully defensive end rushes we get and with the pieces that Terry uh, Fontenot is going to put into our team, I'm like, who knows what could happen? So I am back in that place or I'm getting ready to be optimistic again. But right now, I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful. We're trending in the right direction. Well, there, there are some real similarities, I think, between the 49ers offense and the Falcons offense. And, yeah. and kind of like what they can be, or at least this year. I mean, Cordero Patterson obviously is the big comparison factor here with Debo Samuel and, and you know, CP over at kind of the running back receiver role. If he's back, 
it's easy to envision the Falcons kind of getting somewhere close to what the 49ers were able to do on offense this year. The big question is defense. And I should say the bulk of today's podcast is going to be my conversation with Tori McElhaney, who writes uh, for AtlantaFalcons.com. She's the beat writer over there. And it was great to kind of get a download on just everything that she'd been seeing throughout the season, the trends, kind of things that I'd been maybe kind of noting in the back of my mind and asking her, is that real? Is that not? You know, are we seeing different things? So that's a lot of it. But one of the things that we really, really talked about Ovi, was defense and how the Falcons have to get better on that side of the ball. And she had some really interesting insights um, from Dean Pease and really what he wants to do. Um, So listeners, you guys will hear this entire conversation. Um, Ovi, I'm going to catch you on the back half, uh, but let's take a quick break to hear from today's sponsor. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we all continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. And even though it's a new year, remember that Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. And since it's a new year, Bet Online has a new updated desktop and mobile website, which you can use to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to get started. So, whatever your sport of choice, football, basketball, hockey, UFC, don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers and get in on the action this year. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. So remember, guys, bet online where the game starts. Tori McElhaney, fresh off of her first season as the uh, beat writer for AtlantaFalcons.com, my old gig, and she did it way better than I ever did. No. Um, so congrats <laughs> on your first, uh, the end of your first season in, in that role. I mean, how was it? What was the difference being? I guess outside versus inside, even though I'm sure you're taking the same approach that I did where you're not you're not looking at it like you're on the inside. It's just a different perspective that you can provide to the fan base. Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I honestly just kind of think about it in the way that I think about it is that like there was never anything that I wrote with. AtlantaFalcons.com that was really all that different from what I was writing with The Athletic. Like, I'm not really a hot takey kind of person. Like, yeah, so I'm, I'm not like, I don't operate that way. I never have. And, and I always try and give people honestly the benefit of the doubt. Like, I'm not really like a hard ass on people. Like, that's <laughs> just not who I am. Um, and, and like, I'll call somebody out if they deserve to be called out, obviously. You're, you're but, no Jeff Schultz. That's what you're trying no, to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I'm going to have to tell Jeff about this. I'm going to send him this podcast. It's hilarious. No, I, but for real, like it was interesting because there is like a, as you know, like there's a line that you have to walk that I didn't necessarily have to walk when I was with the athletic. And it is kind of, um, it, it, it took me a little bit to kind of get that through my head and try and figure out that line because no one can tell you that line until you're like in it. <laughs> Like until yeah. like you do it, not a, like no one can say like, oh, here's the line. Here's what you can and can't say um, when when you work for the team versus when you don't. So that part of it was a learning process. But I'm I'm really happy with how the season went because I felt really proud of all the work. 
that went in the like and, and then we were talking before we were even recording this but like getting to travel again yeah was really yeah. really awesome like i'd never been to new orleans or san francisco or dallas or some of these places and so the <laughs> fact that like i could get out and about and actually see these places again was really really great after you know everybody going through the year that we had to in 2020 and even just seeing like seeing sporting events in different cities is really an underrated just cool experience to have in life everything's so different it is and it's so cool because i love seeing like different fan bases like i i'm i will say this like wholeheartedly I don't think I ever had any desire to go to Buffalo, New York on January 1st. Like, I Oh, don't man, think- that looks so much fun. That looked like so much fun. <laughs> okay, so look, like it was. Like, I had a great time. We went to Niagara Falls. Uh, I had some of the best wings I've ever had in my life in Buffalo, which obviously tracks. Go figure. Got to see it. Like, got to see a snow game. Like all of those things. It was an amazing trip. But if anyone would have told me even a year ago, like, oh, you have to go spend Jan- like New Year's Day in Buffalo, New York, I would have been like, absolutely not. I will. That's a no for me. Um, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> let me know when you get back. Like honestly, but it was to experience that atmosphere and that fan base was so much fun. And it's something that I don't think I ever would have, I know I never would have gotten to experience like not in this job, in this career, et cetera, et cetera. No, that's, I mean, that's why I was fortunate enough to go to, um, you know, the Super Bowl that was here in Atlanta. I'm not sure if you were there uh, also, but kind of the higher thing on my bucket list, even before that experience would always be a, an AFC or an NFC championship game just because it's at a home stadium. Like the right. Super Bowl just gets a little bit watered down, it feels like. And if you're at a Kansas City-Pittsburgh game on January 29th, and it's 12 degrees outside, <laughs> and it's in Kansas City, everybody's wearing red, they're going nuts. Like, give me that all day over day. whatever Super Bowl it is. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And like, honestly... I don't know. I think back to like going to San Francisco and and being around that like environment. And then also like this is really funny too. Like even though I've been watching the Falcons for my entire life covering uh the the Falcons for the last 2 years living in the state of Georgia, I had never been to New Orleans. I'd never gone to the Superdome. Like <laughs> well, there's no that, reason to go. No, and I was honestly, <laughs> okay, here's the thing. You know cuz you've been there. I have never been as cold in oh my, my life as yeah. I was at this Superdome. For those that don't know, for some reason, the press box is all the way at the top of the, the Superdome and it is freezing. Like you hear <laughs> you hear that like, you know, heat rises. No, not in the Superdome. Yeah. For some reason, nope. it is. And I, I was an icicle, a full on <laughs> icicle. It's I mean, it, like, honestly, what's colder, Buffalo in, in January or New Orleans literally at any point in the year? that's the thing is i was colder in i think when did they when did the falcons play the saints it was it like october yeah in in new orleans it was it was like nine or something like that i I thought it was like sometime in october and it wasn't cold outside and so i'm just wearing like a normal shirt because it's in the press box it gets you because you get in there and you take your like coat off and you're like all settled down and then the second quarter hits and you're like i'm so cold I am as cold as I've ever been. I was colder in that press box than I was at Buffalo, bar none. 
<laughs> All right. Well, this has been the most entertaining six minutes of podcasting <laughs> that we've ever done. So let's let's get to um, to some of the Falcons conversations. And you know, I, it was really interesting going back and, and watching. And I watched live actually as it as it happened, but the end of season press conference because mm-hmm. and and Arthur Smith actually used the term. State of the Union address in in the press conference. And that I mean, that just got me thinking because it, it was kind of the way that Dan Quinn and, and Thomas Dimitrov's end of season press conferences did kind of feel like a state of the union in a lot of ways where for kind of weeks leading up to the end of the season. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of times they were they were out of it by that point. Right. We would ask the questions that were kind of getting it at what they might do in the future. And rightfully so, but also because it's a it's an easy way to deflect, they would kind of say, hey, look, we're still focused on this season. We're still focused on the three games we got ahead of us, blah, blah, blah. When they got to the end of season press conference, that's when they really addressed a lot of those big picture questions that we'd been asking for the last month of the season. It doesn't seem like Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot were interested in doing any of that. And it, like it was still a very much a work in progress for them. Do you kind of get the sense, it, like it almost feels like for that reason, they were so ready to just turn the page on this season and get ready on for 2022? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Because when I think about it, this to me is, and I kept, I kept trying to tell people this, like right when Terry and Arthur first came in, I was like, look, like what they're trying to build, it's going to involve a foundation being laid and a foundation won't be laid. I was like for two or three years, in my opinion, until you yeah. can get the salary cap in a position to where you can start making moves. And at, for 2021, and even now in 2022, even though the cap did increase, like they still really aren't in the phase of being able to make moves that would essentially... They can play. afford they can afford Band-Aids. They need to go out and pay for surgery. And they, yes. they just can't do that. Yes, exactly. That's exact. That's perfectly put because that's where they are. And so I think for them, for Terry and Arthur in that post game or post game in that postseason <laughs> press conference, it what it still very much is a let's talk to our position coaches, let's talk to everybody in the front office, let's see where our priorities are because for where they are right now, there are so many needs that you're gonna have to fill through the draft through free agency. I just think about it, you know, they they talk about Terry is a uh, draft the best player available kind of guy. And I was saying this earlier today, actually, I said, I was like, the thing about drafting best player available is for the Falcons, they can do that and still draft for need. Like that's that's how many needs that they have across the offense and the defense. And so for that reason, like we're still super early. And I think what, Arthur and Terry are trying to put together here in Atlanta. So I think it it's it is really interesting to kind of hear them talking and to kind of be like, well, we're still talking about all this kind of stuff. And I honestly kind of believe them when they say that because it, it still feels really early. It, I mean, it would make no sense not to believe them because I think anybody looking at it, it sometimes just the simplest explanation, Occam's razor, right, is the is the right answer. And I think <laughs> To just sit here and say, yeah, like they were as cash strapped last offseason as we all thought they were, as we all knew they were. They they really couldn't make all of the moves I'm sure they wanted to do. They did a good enough job to to field a team that was competitive throughout the year. But they kind of knew that that was maybe the ceiling 
of what they were able to put together last offseason. So I kind of go into this offseason wondering how much commitment they have to any of the guys who were brought in in year one. And normally in a in a normal year for a first year coach, you would think that the guys you bring in in year one are maybe some of those building blocks, maybe not for the long term, but they're certainly the maybe two year bridge to what you want to be. There's so many guys here on one year deals that they had to (laughs) both out of necessity financially, but also I'm sure a lot of agents around the league were saying, hey, it's pandemic year. This is a really bad year to be in free agency. One year deal. We're going to be right back out there. We'll get you paid. So that kind of has created a storm where you've got 28 free agents this offseason, some of whom fall into that former category of maybe young core pieces that you want to build around. Others are the latter category, which were impactful guys you brought in. But now they're free agents again. I mean, Boye Luikin, Russell Gage, Young Wei Koo, Isaiah Oliver, all are in that first camp. Yep. Daryl Patterson, Eric Harris, Deron Harmon, uh, maybe Dante Fowler, although may a little lukewarm, I think, on him. But they're all in that second camp. How much of a mass exodus should fans prepare for? Or do you think this is a get a gang back together kind of deal? Oh, man, that's a great question. And I think that for... Here's what I'll say is I think for these guys on one-year deals, I think it may be a mass exodus for them. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I I say that because, and it goes back to exactly what you were saying, like a lot of these guys came in understanding that a lot of teams, not just the Falcons, but a lot of teams were strapped for cash in 2021. So there were so many people that were, so many players that were willing to take these one-year deals to almost kind of have like a prove-it year so that they could go out and make more money elsewhere. Yeah, they where, wanted to be Cordero is, Patterson. Exactly. <laughs> There's only one Cordero Patterson. There is only one CP, and he has shown... I mean, that's the, that, that's the prime example. That's what right. I think a lot of people were wanting and envisioning for themselves is they were going to go have a year like CP had in Atlanta. And not everybody has that. Um, not everybody has that story even close. Um, and so it, it's going to be really interesting. I think you could see like a mass exodus of these one year guys, um, unless the Falcons still feel like they need that depth. And I honestly mm-hmm. think that they probably will. I think about a guy like Deron yeah. Harmon. I think a guy like Deron Harmon could still work in this Atlanta 100%. Yep. Yeah. And I think there is value to bringing him back that now you think about your other safety Eric Harris who suffered a significant injury don't know exactly how far along he is in his recovery and if he'd even be ready and yeah that's it, it was such bad timing for Eric right you, you yeah feel for it, him yeah yeah I and so I think like that kind of I, I really do think like I really believe Terry when he says like every and Arthur too when they say it's like a person by person basis, like you make a decision based on the person. I think guys like Brandon Copeland, Stephen Means are probably uh, like on their way out the door. Um, yeah, yeah. I, but even in saying that, you know, there's there that's a group of guys who are all on one year deals and everything like that. But I think that there is a strong argument to bring back guys who the previous regime drafted. I think about Foyer. I 100%. think that, like, mm-hmm. I don't see how you let Foyer walk. Um, and, and, you know, I, 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 okay, I say, I take that back. I can <laughs> see how you let Foyer walk. You don't have the money to sign Foyer. Like, if he's asking right. for the moon, like, and you can't give him the moon, then okay, like, he's going to go find someone who can. 
Um, but I do think that the Falcons would be really, really interested in making a significant push for Foyer to keep him in Atlanta. I, I really do. And I think it would be beneficial if they were to do that. Uh, and then yeah, I think you don't have got- to, you didn't have to read between the lines all season long <laughs> to know how much this team really appreciates and enjoys what Foyer Lucan brings to their defense. I mean, it's very clear that, it, you know, it seemed like we saw a changing of the guard at the linebacker position this season for the Falcons. So mm-hmm. 100%, I agree with you. He's a young guy you want to keep in place. Yeah, and, and I think I even go back to like, because I've had a few, I wrote like three foyer stories this year. <laughs> like I wrote so many foyer stories. It's crazy how that happens. You just, I you know. find your guy and you're like preseason, boom, story. And then he does yeah. something in week four and you're like, I'm going to write the he's arrived story. And then in week 13, it's like, holy crap, this guy's actually been a star all season. Yeah. Yes, that's 100%. It. And so I've, I've done so, I mean, I also like, Foye is one of my favorite players just to watch in general because I think just the way he sees everything is very interesting. Um, but just talk, so talking to like Dean Pease about Foye, I think Dean Pease is like one of the guys who would be like, bring him back. Like, please bring him back because this is mm-hmm. such that Mike linebacker position is such an important role in this scheme that I really do think that Dean maybe more than anybody would be pushing for them to be, to, to essentially be like, do what you have to do to bring him back. I agree. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. Also a guy like Russell Gage. I'm really curious to see what they do there because, you know, we've seen flashes of what Russ can do and it makes me wonder how it, he's one of my biggest question marks is how much, how much the Falcons are going to prioritize Russ. And I think honestly, it kind of all boils down to what happens with Calvin. Uh, to, like, and, and at yeah. this point, nobody knows what's going to happen with Calvin. <laughs> and, and like, people can speculate all day long, but they, uh, we'll, like, we'll get to, we'll get to Calvin in a second. <laughs> wonderful. It's, wonderful. It's on here. <laughs> cool. I'm glad that it's on the lineup. Um, Cause it's a huge topic and it really is. Yeah. I remember Jeff, Schultz wrote a story kind of breaking down the contracts of Matt Ryan, Grady Jarrett, and Calvin yep. Ridley. And I thought for the athletic, and I thought it was, re- I mean, everything Jeff does, I'm always like, oh my gosh, like Jeff killed it. Like, cause <laughs> I, I just, Jeff is one of my favorite people. But he said at the very, very end of that story, he was like, every move and decision that the Falcons make are kind of con- like, it, it almost like builds off of those yeah. three contracts. And I, I think that's, kind of I think that's really really interesting to think about because I think I think about a guy like Russ and I think his future is contingent upon what happens with Calvin yeah it's it's a little bit of like a choose your own adventure book where each (laughs) each thing kind of builds off of like the if yes if no kind of deal but like I almost look at Russell Gage and and Foyer they're both in the same camp they're guys who each season we continue to be surprised by even though we should have learned from the previous season that they're certainly capable of doing what like we are surprised that they're doing. Yeah. It seems like every year foyer by mid season, we're all kind of like, man, this guy's playing really, really well. And then the next year, the same conversation, Russell Gage, every single situation he gets put into all the dude does is is shine and step up to the plate. So he, he reminds me, I look at like Cincinnati and and they've got Tyler Boyd or T Higgins, T Higgins, right? He's the other one, but Mm -hmm. just kind of like these two, you know, maybe number two, but can sometimes on any given game be a number one type of like that is Russ's ceiling to me, but I think he's damn near close to reaching that ceiling and playing there at a consistent base. So 
I like I agree if if they keep Calvin, does that make it more likely that Russ is in the fold because they like those as one two options? If Calvin's gone, do they do they keep Russ as as maybe the one and and draft somebody? Like that's that's where you start getting into all of that choose your own adventure book and right. and that's not even talking about contracts. So let's just let's let's go over I guess right into to the Calvin news and and I'll break <laughs> it down real quick and then because I know like. <laughs> One of the things that that I hated but always appreciated um, was was having to ask like just the question you know the answer to already, but you got to oh. ask the question like that's part oh, of yeah. the job, part of the oh, job. Yeah. And God bless D Orlando Ledbetter. He's usually <laughs> just like question number one right out there. Just give it to checking off the list. Literally love it. Um, but <laughs> all right. So so Steve Weish uh, tells 92.9 uh, a little while ago. Both like it would make sense. And I saw people aggregate this and basically say Calvin Ridley is looking for, quote unquote, a fresh start. And it's like, that's not that's not what was said. <laughs> basically, he said, like, given the lack of communication between the two sides throughout the season, like the space and him not returning to the team, it would make sense if both sides were maybe looking for a fresh start. So that's kind of where all this began. Then uh, about you know a week ago, Mike Garofalo kind of. Building off of that report for Steve Weish for NFL Network said that it was his educated prediction, but he was not reporting anything, just going off of the clues that Calvin Ridley could be elsewhere in 2022. This is obviously one of those situations that we were just talking about where a lot of stuff is still up in the air. We don't know anything. But how do you make sense of all of this? Gosh, I just feel like there are so many layers to it because you think about like, we don't know kind of how much communication has been happening from Calvin's camp to the Falcons. I mean, there, there are just so many right. questions that I have that I honestly, I tell people, I think I went on the radio the other day and someone was asking me about Calvin and I was like, it really may be a situation that we don't know until we know. And yep, I was like, 100%. I know that sounds, I was, like, I, know, I was like, I know that sounds so silly to say, but something that this Falcons organization, it, I think, is really, really good at is if they don't want something out, it doesn't get out. And so the fact that everybody has been so quiet about the Calvin situation and that Calvin's camp has been super quiet through all of this, I, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if like if if it's good that everybody's being quiet about it, that they're like, yeah, like we're giving like you know, we're, we're allowed, we're giving him in space. He's going to come back. Like we are right. on the same yep. page. Like that's why we don't need to talk about it. Or is it a situation where it's the opposite, where it's like, we're not talking because like we are wanting to move on or see, so he doesn't want to be here. Yeah. No one yeah. knows at this point. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what the, like the lack of like just outward communication from the organization and from Calvin's camp. Like the fact that we don't know anything in that there's been no reports of anything like all of this that everybody's talking <laughs> about is strictly speculation. And like, I know Steve Weish, like he's said so many times, he's like, I was asked a question and I gave an educated guess. I was speculating. Like, yeah, he's this reading tea leaves. He's yeah, right, that's, he's yeah. not reporting like, anything. No, like there is. And I think that's where we get into this whole conversation of like, what's speculation and what's a report right For right now? It's just all speculation. And I I feel like this is one of the first times covering the Falcons in the last two years that I really don't feel confident leaning one way or the other with this situation and like feeling confident and like thinking 
that I know what I'm talking about in this situation because I, I, I don't like, I think back to like the Julio Jones situation and it was like, okay, if you're just like looking at the numbers, like in order for them to sign their draft class, like they got to do something <laughs> drastic. And then you see, don't you love math? Oh, hard and just, calculating, just, just crunching numbers all the time. <laughs> oh man. But, but no, like in that situation, I was like, yes, like the, it's like you talk about reading the tea leaves, like with the Julio stuff, it's like, okay, well, he doesn't seem happy. We're getting reports that he's not happy and he wants out. We are also seeing that the Falcons need cap space. And the best way to do that is to trade this guy. And they also yep. want uh draft capital. The best thing to do is trade. Julio so it's like that situation I was like yeah like this all makes sense nothing right now about the Calvin Ridley situation is making sense to me and it's just so hard for me to kind of weigh it in my head I I feel very very discombobulated about it (laughs) (laughs) well and and it's a situation frankly where the Julio the Julio deal I would have had no qualms picking up the phone and and texting or calling anybody who I would have thought had any information right. on that situation. Calvin Ridley stuff. I mean, mental health, like that's not a, an area that a lot of people I think are very comfortable probing. And right. I think that a lot of people, you know, rightfully so have been giving him a, a lot of space. But to your point that that means we, we don't know if Arthur Smith is every single Monday morning sending Calvin a, a note saying, Hey buddy, thinking of you continuing to give you my support with a $50 Chick-fil-A gift card is hatched. Like <laughs> he could have been doing that or he could have blocked his phone number. Like nobody has any idea. And these are two yeah. different sides of the spectrum that you could speculate on. And, and neither are really fair to the situation going on right now. Now, like I do think that what, it, what this is doing is this is getting people talking about it, which then does drive more of this kind of like sourcing conversation, but we have no idea what these sources are. We don't know if it's coming from either camp, meaning they're mm-hmm. trying to like kind of push their own narrative to get leverage or whatever. It kind of doesn't make sense for either side to do this. Like I kind of think like if you don't have leverage with trying to trade Calvin Ridley, uh, like I don't know what player you would have a leverage with because right. there's really no reason why if everything gets worked out, you know, with Calvin and he's in a good place and ready to go, like, there's no reason to believe he's not going to be one of the top receivers in the league. So you don't need to try to drum up traffic for him. What this it could be is just people around the league doing exactly what we're doing, reading tea leaves and talking to somebody and then somebody kind of sourcing that out like that happens a lot of time around this year. And it's just conversations like this. Uh, yep. So that, yeah, we're this is going to be a situation where we don't know until we know. <laughs> like that's yeah. exactly yeah. It's just we're going to get a, a Schefter report or or probably something from you, God willing, uh, <laughs> if, if you're if you're lucky enough to get that uh, get that scoop. So. Um, all right. So Matt Ryan, the other the other big domino here, <laughs> Chris Mortensen, another another big name in the uh, NFL yeah. uh, landscape. Ten days ago, check the date on it, reported that that Arthur Smith and I wrote this language down very specifically because it's what Chris Mortensen said made it clear to Arthur Blank and Terry Fontenot that Matt Ryan is his quarterback for 2022. Since then, and you were in the room for this, I mean, Arthur Smith kind of walked that back. Not not like he walked back like he had said that. Again, that was being reported. Um, Right. But but addressed that in in a little bit of a roundabout fashion to kind of say, Terry Fontenot and I are lockstep in this. No decision gets made without both of us being very comfortable and all parties involved. We haven't made any of those decisions. We haven't talked about that. Yada, yada, yada. Um, 
I guess my best question for you here, because it seems like this was uh, a not a change, but you noticed it throughout the season. It seems like these guys are really impressed with Matt Ryan. After speaking to them at the end of the season, how do you feel like they their feelings about Matt Ryan maybe changed after a year of working with him? And do you think that would lead to a report like Mortensen's where Arthur Smith would want him back in the fold in 2022? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think about kind of the conversations that we've had with Arthur Smith, the conversations that we've had with offensive coordinator Dave Ragone about Matt Ryan specifically. And there's never been a moment that I have been able to gauge like any type of disgruntled, frustrating <laughs> feelings about Matt Ryan. I have sensed frustration about a number of other things. Of course, the Falcons would like to have better pass blocking. Of course, they would like to have better rush. Like, you know, like a pass yeah. rush. Like, of course, like, and you can sense that frustration when they're talking about it. Like, they want to get better in those regards. There has never been a moment where I'm like, oh, they're frustrated with Matt Ryan. Like, even after the taunting penalty, like, if we really <laughs> wanted to go into that, even after that, like, we Arthur don't. Smith is like, just, like, just ask him about it. Like, I don't know, man. And it, so it really and truly, I don't, I feel like they feel really, really confident in Matt's ability, one, to pick up Arthur's scheme. Because I think yep. that was something that I wrote about. I think it was like, honestly, a couple months into the season, because I thought something that Arthur Smith said was really, really interesting, where he was like, there is, he was like, something that's so underrated about Matt Ryan is how he subtly like reinvents himself according to what scheme he's in, yes. and what system he's in. And I thought that was so interesting. And and for a head coach who is as offensive-minded and forward as I think Arthur Smith is, for him to kind of give somebody that compliment, I think speaks volumes. And I think it like I, I think a lot of people probably read like the the report that Arthur Smith like went to Terry and Arthur was like, "You have to keep Matt Ryan on this team." I really don't think it went down in that way. It probably no. was a situation where it was just like Arthur's like, "I feel confident in having Matt in the pocket." Like. Let's I don't build. think you take this job unless, you know, like <laughs> one of the reasons you come to Atlanta is probably for Matt Ryan. Like there's plenty of other places you can go where you could draft a quarterback. Like if he want, there were, yes. there were higher teams on the pecking order in the draft order that he could have gone to, i.e. the New York Jets. And yes, I can't remember if they had hired Salah or not at that point. But, um, but I, it's a great point. And I mean, I think that it may have been you that uh, we had this conversation maybe during draft season, like one of the very first podcasts, but when Kyle Shanahan came here in Atlanta um, in, in 2015, his scheme, which is, is not dissimilar to the one that Arthur Smith runs, mm -hmm. relied on the quarterback having to turn their back to the defense in order to really sell that play action like it was truly a run play. And that was something that Matt Ryan had never had to do before in his career when he had Mike Malarkey early on and then he had Dirk Cutter. Um, you know, Mike Malarkey was more of a, a little bit kind of like the West Coast um, style of offense, but really right. run heavy dirt cutter, as we saw the past couple of years, like to, to really drop it back, let it get a lot of routes out into the combination uh, and, and flood the zones. But it was Kyle who really stressed marrying that play action with his, his passing game. And, and that's what Arthur Smith wants to do as well. We saw the flip or the switch that Matt Ryan flipped going from 2015 to 2016, obviously was as mm -hmm. big as anybody in history. I, I think that a Matt had a better season this year because of his comfort 
carrying over from what Kyle did. Like, I just yes. think that he'd done it before, so he was clearly better in year one. But I'm wondering if there's still maybe another, not as big of a jump, obviously, just because of a lot of other different factors. I think in year two, Matt, Matt could be even better than he was uh, in, in this first year. And, and so I think, like, there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons for them to bring him back. What, what do you think the Falcons need to do maybe behind Matt Ryan? Let's say he's, he's there in 2022. Would you be for drafting a quarterback and, and going the grooming route? Or do you think they do what they just did this year, which is pretty much throw away the rest of the quarterback position, save money there, and say Matt Ryan's been one of the most durable quarterbacks in the league since he's been in the league. If he goes down, we're screwed anyway. Like We're going to save yeah. money and, and just spend that elsewhere. Yeah, I, I kind of lean towards uh, the second option. I do, because I look at this, and granted, I, I, will preface, I will preface this by saying I haven't done, like, full draft research yet. <laughs> like, either. that is, I, I will get, I was telling People was are telling so fast today, to turn the page to draft season, and we're like, I guys, know. guys, guys, chill. We just finished, the dra- like, the NFL season. <laughs> I literally am still combing through like statistics from the season and yeah. like doing all these like reviews and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, I am not there yet. I said today, I was like, I will not talk about the draft for another two weeks. I was like, give me two weeks and then I will get there. And so, I used to sell like the combine and now I'm I'm like, yeah, the com- by the combine, I'm an idiot when it comes to the draft. <laughs> yeah. Like I got to start, I started this week. I know it's so crazy, but so I I will preface this by saying that I haven't done like my full draft research as I do once we get into February. But to me, especially when comparing this uh, draft class to what it was last year in 2021, I just don't see a quarterback that I would be willing to. I, I don't see a guy yet. Like that, I would be willing to to dr- use a draft pick and bring in and essentially groom him into being Matt Ryan's successor. I don't <laughs> see that yet. Like I don't worth the see- value of like a first or a second round pick. Exactly. Right. I I don't. That to me is not on this draft board. So if it's not on this draft board, I'm like, all right, like let's let's go out and let's get some players that you know has a god-given talent to rush the passer and then and then we'll get to the quarterback conversation when we do which I think would be in you know I would like to think in 2023 because you you at that point it probably does have to you do have to start thinking about a Matt Ryan succession plan because his contract is coming to the end we are definitely in the twilight years of Matt Ryan's this this contract that has been restructured so many times so yep. with that in mind, it's like you do have to start thinking about a succession plan, but I don't know if it, if it's done through the draft in 2022, just because I don't see an option that's viable for kind of what you're wanting long term. And when you have Matt, who's as capable as we know he can be, when yeah. he's given time in the pocket, <laughs> like when he's protected, Matt Ryan, I think, is as good as anybody. And so... That part of it is like, can you, I think you're in the process now and even maybe in the next year where you try and bring in as many solid pieces as you can so that when you finally do part ways with Matt Ryan, everything else is running so smoothly. So you can just plug in a quarterback and have him learn and then you're good. Like that to me is kind of how I think about it. 
It's it's spot on. And that whole time, <laughs> that whole time, because it, it just made me think of of a new it made me think of it in a little bit of a new way. But I like I kind of really think that this may be the approach. Like they're they're NBA free agent singing, seeing this like they are trying to build themselves up to be the most desirable place, I think, because we are also now seeing the NFL become as like quarterbacks are moving at a greater rate than ever before. Quarterbacks yep. are whether it's, you know, Aaron Rodgers just getting disgruntled for whatever reason. The Russell Wilson <laughs> rumors for the last few years, the Rams just willing to say, hey, we'll just trade Jared Goff or Matthew Stafford. Like, why not? Tom Brady going down to Tampa. Like, we're seeing guys just move around at a much greater frequency than we ever have. It makes all the sense in the world for the Falcons to say, hey, look, instead of wasting one of these valuable assets that we have that we could put into building up the rest of this team, you know, why are we going to use that on somebody who is A, going to eat away at the reps from our starter, who we expect to be the starter for the next maybe one, two years, but, right. but also just kind of be like, now we've got to spend time and resources on this guy who's not going to be immediately out there helping us win. That doesn't seem like anything Arthur Smith is uh, really interested in right now. I think he's nope. interested in, in getting guys out there who are going to help uh, help them win. And maybe that's a pass rusher. And the the thing that I wrote down when I was just starting to think about the defensive side of the ball is, are the Falcons aware of how problematic their pass rush uh, actually <laughs> is? Um, and, and then I was reading through uh, some of the stories that you guys have up on the site. And, and there was one quote that really stuck out to me and and I actually kind of don't know if I love it. I don't know if oh, I love okay. the thought process here, but it's essentially the notion that in a pass rusher they want just they want to go get a guy who's who's a pressure player, I think was the term that they used. And yeah. Dean Pease essentially was saying with with somebody like who was it wasn't was it Terrell Suggs? It uh, was. It was it Terrell, Terrell Suggs and Sugg. it was Ray, Ray Lewis yeah. too. And yeah. it was just kind of like they're making plays where you're kind of like no, 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 no. Yes. And it's like, they did everything that you maybe didn't coach them to do, but because they're freak athletes, they made the play. They just want to go get those guys who, even if they, you know, do something wrong, they're good enough to make the play. I mean, doesn't everybody like, isn't yeah. that, that to me, that's not a blueprint of what I kind of want my like scouting department basing their data on. Right. Am I crazy to, right. to think that? Yeah, Is there yeah. more to that? No, no, no. You're I, I don't think you're crazy at all. Like I think that <laughs> I think it's actually a good topic of conversation because I think it's like it is one of those things where you would hope you hoped that like I use Dante Fowler as the example. Like the Falcons brought Dante Fowler in hoping that he would be the guy that he was when he was playing alongside Aaron Donald. You know, like that's they were wanting him to be that guy in Atlanta. And he wasn't. He wasn't that guy in Atlanta. That doesn't right. take away from his like athletic ability by any means. Um, because yeah. when you, you know, I could rush the passer maybe if I was, <laughs> you know, beside Aaron Donald. Like, <laughs> no one put me out on a field. I but would, I would pay to see that. <laughs> I know I would do. I would like to pay for the uh, the video copy of that. Um, <laughs> but but no, I, I say all this to say like. I think what Dean was saying particularly was he was like, look, like there are just these guys who you you sometimes can't coach like the level of like God given talent like that they have. And mm -hmm. he was like, your job as a coach is just to make sure you don't mess them up. And, <laughs> and I think like that's 
I don't know if like that, that's, I feel like the blueprint for everything, like what you're saying, like that's the blueprint of what you want. Like you want the guys who can go out and just like wreak havoc because they're just that much of a beast, like out on the field. Um, That's what every player ever wants to be known for. Um, (laughs) But for the Falcons in particular, it's just one of those things where it's like, there are so many needs in pass rush that like one guy is not going to fix it's not going to be, I think, a situation where you can bring in one guy and it just absolutely changes everything for this pass rush. It's going to be a group effort, I think, going into 2022. Um, and, and hopefully you do find that guy who is that has that God-given talent that Dean can just be like, oh, well, he wasn't supposed to do that, but oh, well, like he still <laughs> got the sack. Um, and I think if you're looking at, you know, we talk about building on um, – around some of these guys you want to build around Grady Jarrett you've got to get the guy some help you you cannot like that's the thing is I I remember I asked Dean I was like if you watch Grady's mic'd up I was like there was one point where there were three offensive linemen on him and he goes damn y'all don't gotta block anybody else it's my favorite (laughs) mic'd up moment of the entire season the entire season my favorite thing and I was I literally was like, and Dean was like, oh yeah, I remember that it was when we were playing Detroit, right? And I was like, yes. And and he was like, and even Dean, he was like, we've tried to kind of like move Grady around. I don't know. Like I know yeah. a couple times he's been like out on the outside and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, like, like a wide nine. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And, and that's all well and good. But Dean, I think said it best. He was like, we've got to put someone beside Grady. Like that is what we have to do in 2022. It is like we have to find someone who can take some of that pressure off of Grady Jarrett because in 2021, no one yeah. could. No one could. And that's why Detroit could put three guys on Grady Jarrett and be hunky-dory about it. Well, that was a huge theme, I think, on the defensive side of the ball for Atlanta this year is, it, I, I mean, it just, this was another thing you could just sense if you were following along. It seemed like Dean is really couldn't do a lot of the things that he wanted to do this year. And literally the next question that I had down is it feels like he's almost like three or four infinity stones away from like really <laughs> wanting to, to like be able to use the defense that he, that he wants to use. And we saw a lot of people kind of like late in the season, they, a lot of zone, a lot of stuff like that. But I know that he wants to turn this team into more of a man coverage team. Cause that allows you to do so much more in your front seven. Right. And yeah, like we know what this, what he wants this to be. But one of the guys that I think the Falcons were missing, and I'm really curious to see what the defense would have looked like with a full year of Isaiah Oliver. And I saw that Thank comment you. from Dean Pease, yes. kind of like late in the season where he said, if, if Isaiah was healthy, he's no doubt our, our starting nickel. Yes. He's obviously one of those free agent guys. Well, where do you think the team stands with Isaiah Oliver? Oh my gosh. Well, if from a personal standpoint, this is not the team's oh, thing. This is this Isaiah's is Tori so yeah. This is Tori McElhaney speaking. I think you re-sign Isaiah Oliver, no question. Like no questions asked, you re-sign him because I think Dean's comment about Isaiah, if Isaiah was still 100 percent healthy would be the nickel and the and even going back to I wrote a story <laughs> I wrote a story uh, at the very beginning of the season it was like three weeks in and I was like y'all all owe Isaiah Oliver an apology because like people were so mean to Isaiah Oliver on like the dumpster fire that is Atlanta Falcons Twitter sometimes <laughs> he was 
the, the he was Twitter's favorite punching bag. Now it's moved over to Jalen Mayfield, but it was Isaiah for years. And, and yeah. I, I, I really do think that they like Dean saw something in, and, and also Raheem because Raheem Morris, like also, I think started to see kind of how better Isaiah Oliver could be in a different spot. And so mm-hmm. I think this was a process that was almost partially Raheem and then Dean seeing that and kind of pushing it through. And, and I think that Isaiah Oliver has finally kind of found his, his area, his niche. Like, and I, I think that it's that position is so important because the alignment of the nickel dictates so much of Dean P's scheme. And yeah. he said as much, and it's so important and, and such a, um, a, a big role from a communication standpoint, obviously from an, uh, an alignment standpoint. So you had the guy that you wanted. Dean P said, like, <laughs> Isaiah, it, it, he does what I want him to do at that position. I don't want to rotate the nickel position. That's not what I want to do. I want one guy who can do the things that I ask, and that was Isaiah. And I think that in and of itself is the argument. Like, that's the argument to re-sign Isaiah Oliver. Yeah, that's a I, ringing endorsement. <laughs> right? Like, it's, yeah. it's like you're, you have your defensive coordinator sitting there in week 17 being like, if Isaiah was still here, he like, we'd be fine. But, you know, like that's a, yeah. that part of it, I think, is so telling. It's so telling. And I think even though, you know, he had a season-ending knee injury, People come back from those all the time. Like we're at the day and age where a, a knee injury, season-ending knee injury, is not something that I overly stress about. Um, we look at a guy uh, like uh, uh, I mean, I, I just don't, like you saw Keanu Neal come back from an Achilles. You saw Ricardo yeah. Allen come back from Achilles. Well, like, I mean, Cam see, a- Cam Akers in Cam this Akers. playoff game. That, yeah, yes. uh, it was an Achilles, but but right, like these types of ligament or yeah injuries that used to be devastating and would ruin somebody's career. I mean, medicine's gotten to the point where we're seeing a guy look as explosive as he's ever been seven months later. Like, right. It's insane. Yes. Wild. Like, and so I, I'm not worried about like Isaiah being ready. Like, I, I think that the Falcons could, and it also could be a situation that it could be beneficial for the Falcons too. Like, maybe Isaiah would be willing to take a deal that is a short term. He, he may be forced to. I mean, frankly, right, exactly. like it's not like he's been incredibly productive before this year. It was it's yes. always this is a scenario where Terry Fondo, you know, talked to you guys about kind of seeing what you've got in house and these conversations. Right. Because the market dictates a lot of stuff, but you can always begin to evaluate your in-house guys and you know what they bring to the table. Isaiah Oliver's a perfect scenario where the team may rate him much higher than a lot of other teams because they know the intangibles. But a lot of teams may really underrate him to the point where he's valuable to the Falcons and a huge steal based on where they rate him. It's just other teams don't see those intangible stuffs and the stuff that he has put on the field hasn't really been amazing. But the Falcons think his best days are ahead of him, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of where my head is at. I think there's a really good argument to make for Isaiah Oliver. I really do. So one, so two guys that Foye and Isaiah seems like stock stock pointing up on on them, um, and I agree with you uh, with Isaiah. Like I, I think we saw him playing really well before he got hurt. Unfortunately, yeah. one player who, you know, it's for whatever reason, kind of seemed like he took a step back, drew the ire of a lot of fans. I've criticized him, but only because I know like how much better you can play. It's Deion Jones, and we yeah. we talked about scheme. Like Dean P certainly has 
a, a different scheme than what they've run previously. He, he's not afraid to kind of ask a lot of his players to run a, a few different things and mix things up and, and really kind of get into a quarterback's head. But I don't know when it came to Deion Jones, was it a, was it a physical thing? Did he just kind of take a step back and regress? Was it a scheme thing? Was he asked to do some things that maybe he wasn't comfortable with? Like, what can you tell me about the season Deion Jones had and, and kind of, he's going to be the fourth biggest cap hit, I think for the team next year. Like when you're looking at some of these younger guys, what do you think about the future of Deion here? Yeah. I- it's really interesting because I feel like the Deion Jones that we saw this year is really not the Deion Jones that I think many have come to kind of right. um, re- rely upon um, and feel like they know. And it's really interesting because I remember at the beginning of the year, I was talking to Frank Bush, who is the Falcons inside linebackers coach. And I was talking to him about Dion. And at that time, Dion was having a pretty normal year. I mean, he wasn't doing anything like super like flashy or anything like that. Right. But he was playing relatively good football at the time. Yeah, you felt like he was a game away from having one of uh, like a pick six for 60 yards. And you're like, yes, Dion's back. Here we go. Yes, exactly. And so I remember talking to Frank Bush and I he, I asked him about Dion and and I was talking to him in the context of foyer because I was working on that on one of my <laughs> 74,000 foyer stories. Um and I asked him I was like, you know, they've kind of switched roles a little bit. I was like, not really, but like, you know, Foyer is now the vocal like he's getting everybody aligned, he's getting the defense ready to go. That's kind of been that responsibility has been taken off of Dion's shoulders and Frank Bush said something that I thought was really interesting. He was like, yes, like in what we want is like that for it is for Dion to be more Dion, that it frees him up to be more Dion. And it's like, in theory, that makes sense. Like Dion's not having to worry about getting everybody lined. Like that's Foyer. Like Foyer's got to do it. Like, and <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is I feel like Foyer had a more productive year, obviously, um, in, in all, I think in more ways than one. And he has that responsibility. So in theory, like the, the, hypothesis, yeah, I don't know if like, I buy, I don't know if I buy too much of that. Right. Like the hypothesis of, oh, we take this responsibility off of Dion. So that like, Dion I don't think Luke Keekley or Bobby Wagner or whatever, like <laughs> if, if you took away play calling responsibilities that all of a sudden now they're like all, all pros. Like, I, right. I don't, I don't know if I buy that. Like, I think that, right. Because I remember talking to Marquand Manuel two, three years ago and he was like, Dion was like, I would look at Dion getting ready to put a play in and he would just kind of wave me off and be like, I know the play. Like I got this. He was so aware of situations. He just knew it and was the leader of that defense. So that's a little coach speak speaky to me. I think that's right. No. And and that's exactly kind of like looking, you know, at the time you're like, Oh, like this means like Dion's like what you're saying, like Dion's one play away, like Mm -hmm. everything, like they're going to get Dion like going so on and so forth. But now that we are three months removed from like that comment and that story, like that like conversation, it's like Dion wasn't more like he wasn't more for yeah. for this Falcons defense. <laughs> he was actually less like than he than what we've <laughs> known him to be. So because of that, like what do you, what do we all attribute that to? Do we attribute that to like Dion maybe not fitting the scheme? Do we attribute that to? I mean, I don't even know. Like I I, I think. It's going to be really interesting to see kind of what happens with Dion. I don't think that the Falcons make a move on Dion this offseason. You know, I've been wrong before, but like, I don't think they make a move on Dion this offseason. But I, I do think that when you look at it and you're like, well, dang, like your production went down significantly from yeah, like, like when we significantly. Went, like, 
Yeah, like literally significantly when Dean Pease gets in here. So it's like, do is it just like an off year? You know, everybody has an off year. Everybody has a bad day at work. But it's like, is this 2021 season a marker of a bad day at work? Or is it a marker right. of like a downturn in kind of who we think Deion yeah. Jones is? And and that's where he's like, he's still too young and too, you watch him run. I mean, dude's still too fast. He's still too good. He's athletic. Like, I mean, he's still Dion when he's running around there. That's why I've always wondered if it is kind of a scheme thing and the things they're asking him to do or how he's dropping or, you know, if, if man zone, all that stuff, blitz it like, but you watch him on a snap snap basis. He, it looks like he's fine, but then you watch him miss these tackles that he's never missed before. And, and it's kind of yeah. like, that's not a scheme thing. That's a, you got to make that play. So yeah, Dion, right. Dion will be really interesting on the defense side of the ball. But before I get you out of here, last question, we got to talk about the offensive line. Um, I, oh, I kind of like the rookie, <laughs> the rookie review you wrote on, on Jalen Mayfield, uh, trial by fire was, was a little bit, I kind of like this season. And the most important note in that piece was the, the point about longevity it was kind of like what yeah. Mayfield brings to the table now that he didn't before. And, and it was, He's got 16 games under his belt, right? Did he miss one game? I think he started all 16. He missed one. He? He, start, he missed one so game. So he started 16. He missed the last game uh, against the Saints at home. He had a back injury. Okay, there you go. So, but 16 games, he only played 15 in college, correct? And, yeah. and so, mm-hmm. so that's, he got a full, he got more, he doubled his college career, essentially in one season. And I know a lot of people were were just absolutely ready to throw Jalen Mayfield to the Wolves after, Ooh. frankly, a lot of games this season. And yep. a lot of there were more than enough times where I was impressed by the kid that he bounced back with a pretty strong game. And if anything else, like that speaks to somebody who, who's not going to just kind of fold or or, or bend or, or get you know crumpled over. And I, and I think that that speaks to a character that means a little bit more maybe than his performance as a rookie in a otherwise not great year. Like I think that players get better. <laughs> like people, people they don't do. like especially to, to really acknowledge that. Especially offensive linemen, offensive linemen who are learning yeah. a new position and didn't have yeah. all that much experience coming out of college and to begin with. So these are all reasons to believe he could get better. That being said, a lot of people are talking about the offensive line is a major need for the Falcons this off season. They will have all five guys back under contract next mm-hmm. year. Do you think we see the same five out there to start the 2022 season and that they rely on the belief of incremental improvement and improvement from these young players? Or do you think there's going to be a shakeup, particularly in the interior? Or do you think it's right tackle? I, yeah, I, <laughs> I actually think that we will see a different starting five in 2022. I do. All right. Um, okay. And I don't know. I don't. I don't know where like that like shakeup where comes it comes from. from. I don't know if yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Like I don't know if it comes from like you drafting a guy and you throw him out there, or if it comes from looking for a free agent that you know can come in and immediately make a difference. I don't know exactly what the thought process would be as like where they would want to go find people, but I do think that you cannot have this offensive line. In 2022, like, and and I say that with the most, like, (laughs) like with the (laughs) nicest way that I possibly can, but it's just like, when you look at, it's like, you look at the numbers and you look at how much Matt Ryan was under duress all the time. 
and I just don't see how you can just be content with throwing those same five out there. I just, I don't. And, and I, I, I say that with as much love and, you know, enjoyment. I hope they all, I hope they prove me wrong. I hope that the, the, this five, this group of five goes out there in 2022 and just runs over people. Like that would be amazing, but I don't think that's going to happen. So what do you do? I think you honestly, I know a lot of people are like, the Falcons should go out and draft a, a tackle for Caleb McGarry. And that is such a hard pill to swallow, knowing that you invested a first round draft pick into a guy. And then a few years later, you are, again, going back into the first, second round looking. I'm not ready to bail to, on Caleb. I'm not ready to bail. Right. Like, and, and I, I like that is such a hard pill to swallow. And I think for that reason, like, I don't know if that's something that the Falcons would be willing to do at this point in time, but you do have to figure something out for Jalen Mayfield. And is that relying on him and trusting him that he's going to make a significant jump from year one to year two? Um, or is it going out and finding somebody else? Because you think about it too, like, Jalen Mayfield wasn't supposed to be in this position to begin with. Like, I know, like, no, that's, yeah, a lot of people would, like, a lot of people would make that, like, be like, oh, well, that's an excuse. Like, he's an NFL player, like, blah, blah, blah. And, yes, I completely understand, like, people saying that. But at the end of the day, here is a guy who was drafted in the third round. He was drafted and did not have the time to develop in a new position that he did not play. He was a right, he was a tackle. Like, he was not a left guard in college he only like what we're talking about he only started five games in his college career he made 16 starts this year like this is not this was not the trajectory that I think (laughs) anyone in the Falcons organization wanted for Jalen Mayfield it was just the reality of the situation that's why they went out and got Josh Andrews off the free agency market that was supposed to be the plan and then Josh Andrews gets injured right before week one and you're just kind of out of luck and and so you thrust (laughs) Jalen Mayfield into this role that he's quite frankly, it looks like he's not ready for. And so it's like, okay, now, so we know that. We know that it was a trial by fire. We know that perhaps like in his his personal development was not ready for that role. But will he be ready for that role in year two because of the experience that he had? I don't know. I don't know kind of what that process is going to shake out to be. But I do think it's worth it to draft an offensive lineman at some point in those early rounds. I I do. I think that you just can't, or better yet, I actually take that back. I would rather you go out and get a free agent who can go in and just help out immediately. Like that's, that seems easier to me. I forget all the developmental stuff. Like if you want Matt Ryan to be the best that he can be, you've got to protect him. And that means now you got to protect Matt Ryan now. And for the time being in 2021, they didn't, they didn't protect Matt Ryan. So that's my spiel on the offensive line. Will any of what I just said be right? Probably not, but it'll be fun to keep up with it. <laughs> go, go get Jamal Brown. That's what uh, that's what Tori wants them to do. Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> there you go. No, I mean, I I don't know what it says, but I think it says something. I just haven't haven't been smart enough to figure it out yet. That the they did stick with Jalen Mayfield all throughout the season. Uh, I mean, yeah. like there's they didn't bail on him. They clearly saw something there that was worth giving him the reps that they gave him. So, you know, we'll see, but, but I, I, I think I agree with you. I wouldn't be shocked if there is um, a different look to this, to this group, whether or not the same five went out that that remains to be said, but I do definitely think there's going to be some new bodies at camp. Um, final, final question, because thinking about Matt Ryan and 
you know, all the offensive line combinations because he's had a lot over the years. And every single year, it kind of seems like he's getting hit a lot. So are we sure that Matt Ryan's not the Taylor Swift of the NFL and maybe it's just him? Maybe it's not oh the gosh. offensive line. Maybe it's Matt Ryan. Are we sure? Are we sure? I first off, as a Swift, a diehard Swifty, <laughs> this this analogy is like he needs physically to find hurting his Joe Alwyn. That's what he, he needs. He needs to find his Joe Alwyn. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So that's another question. I mean, and it's one that I think we all have to be like. The reality of the situation is, it's like Matt Ryan's been hit a ton in his career. Whose fault is that? Like, is it really the, like, is it really I, the I years? think he's good in the pocket. I think he's like, good in the pocket. I, I, I do too. Like, you know, Matt, you know what you're getting with Matt Ryan. He's not yeah. going to, like, he's not going to scramble <laughs> out of the pocket. He's not like, uh, it, it, legit, he's, he's not going to run the ball. Like, that's just right. not who he is. You know who Matt Ryan is. Um, and so were there a couple of times where I'm just like, throw the ball, like <laughs> just throw it on like 100%, but I'm not out there. I'm not seeing everything that they're seeing. Uh, so it, it is really, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. One that I don't know if I'd be willing to like stick my neck out and be like, yes, Matt Ryan's the Taylor Swift of the NFL. Um, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> Oh, I just had to I had to get one in there for you. Um, I'm so all right, glad. So let let everybody know what you've got coming during free agency and draft season. I guess over at the site. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, there's so much. Um, there's so much that we're going to be doing over the next few months. I mean, between free agency, going up to the combine, all of the draft. We're doing this big like road to the draft, um, like stories and and just a bunch of different stuff something that is like my baby that I'm really really excited about uh that I'll be working on for the next like month or so is I'm going to be doing a big salary cap story um there are so many I I think this salary cap I think is like something that like a lot of people don't fully understand I know I didn't oh nobody yeah no, no one like there. There's just like I like you to think about like the cap people, like the people who are working with the cap. They're like these mystical beings. Like they're not actually like real. It's just like little elves, like just trying to <laughs> put like piece things together. And it's so funny to me because every single time like a big free agent like goes on like on the market, oh, everybody's yeah. like, oh, Go the find Falcon this person. Yeah, like the Falcons should <laughs> sign this person. Like it doesn't matter that they're gonna cost seventeen million dollars. Like, and I'm just like, they physically can't do it. They physically don't have the money to sign this person. And so the cap is so important when you're talking about the Falcons, where they were when Terry and Arthur took over last year, and then where they are this year and where they're gonna go. So I ha- I'm gonna be working on this, like almost like a salary cap, like one on one. Like, what do you need to know about go. the Falcons' salary cap? And so. This is a story that I'm going to be working. I'm really in the early stages of it right now, but it's one that I'm really looking forward to. And I think it's going to be one that's going to be pretty helpful to, to allow people to understand the situation that the Falcons are in. So be on the lookout for that. I don't have a run date for that yet. Like I said, it's still <laughs> early, but it'll be sometime before probably around like free agency is what I'm looking to kind of have everything wrapped up with. Seems like a pretty good time to uh, have, have that all in the uh, in the hopper. So, <laughs> Tori, thank you so much for uh, for hopping on and and uh, answering a lot of questions. This was great to catch up and and talk about the Falcons, kind of get closure on the season and where they could go next. So, I really appreciate your time. Absolutely, anytime. Love coming on with you guys. So, Ovi, I, I really think that there was 
um, some great stuff there that Tori brought up. And really what I want to get your insights on as an offensive player, as a fullback, is the defense. <laughs> and <laughs> Something you've never done. <laughs> um, because I, like, I, I really think, I thought Tori was really passionate in her plea to bring Isaiah Oliver back to the Falcons. I know that he's kind of had like a, maybe a love-hate relationship with some of the fan base because when he was drafted out of Colorado, like it made sense immediately to me why Dan Quinn would want to draft because he looks a lot like, frankly, Trayvon Diggs. Yeah. He's, he's just kind of that big, long corner who, when you watched his college tape, was just swatting balls away like he was Dikembe Mutombo. Yep. And it's not like the quickest, flashiest guy, which is what typically works in the slot. But once the Falcons transitioned him over into the slot, he started finding success. And I think a lot of that has to do with his communication skills, his intelligence, just his ability to really see what's happening. What do you think of Isaiah Oliver as a player? I'm just curious as like a former athlete who knows what it takes to compete at this level. What do you see in him? There are few players, a few and far between players who have such a high football IQ that it's able to um, compensate for above average or average skills. And I think Mm -hmm. Isaiah Oliver is one of them. Like you mentioned, he's not going to uh, tear it up at the combine. He's not going to, you know, have scouts put him at a first round draft pick because of what he can do uh, athletically. But on defense, especially, you can use that intelligence, that experience, that ability to predict what the, uh, the offense is going to do to put yourself and your teammates in position to win. And Isaiah Oliver is that guy. But somebody you can trust is so much important than having flashy guys who have all the skills in the world but aren't going to be where they're supposed to be. It's so frustrating as an offensive player when, <laughs> yeah. you know, sure, I don't know all the defensive schemes and the zone man, you know, breakdowns. But I do know that wide receivers shouldn't be wide freaking open. I, I do know that. <laughs> and, and when I see these DBs, yelling at each other after a uh, wide receiver catches a, a wide open pass. And with the Falcons, that's every game, every year, it seems like, you know, the, the, I was playing or most of the years. I'm just so irritated at how do you guys not communicate? How do you guys not prepare for this? How do you guys not watch this film? How do you guys not? Know? I know it's more complicated than I think it is, but still, if other teams are able to do this, do this very well, we should be able to do this. And we need enough guys who can be smart, fast, quick, intelligent, and kind of round out the defensive scheme that Dean Pease wants to do. I think he can be a key piece piece of that. Wow. Dante Robinson out here just catching strays from Ovi. <laughs> you know, here's the funny thing. Dante, I was with Dante yesterday. His son and my son play on the same basketball team. And uh, nice. Dante's he's one of our better DBs uh, that I played with. Yeah, I know he was. He was. That's, that's yeah. And, I and felt safe in, well. in bringing his name up. Yeah. No, but we was, had so we had some uh, some average. What was this guy? Chris Christopher Owens. Uh, was it? Yep. Yeah, Chris yeah. Owens. He's a great tryhard guy. You know, lo- lovely human being. He's a, a fellow Walter <laughs> Payton Man of the Year. But you know, he, he knew he didn't have you know top tier skills and and uh, like we just had right. a lot of miscommunication in our defenses and and even after I left especially 2013 14 15 like in those middle years it was just hard to watch and we've been last in almost every single category for the past decade for a reason there was a I think I went to a game it was either like 2009 2010 you guys played Jacksonville 
and I was, uh, my, my friend Kevin Hellman and I were sitting like 47 yard line mm -hmm. and maybe 12th row. So really great seats. I mean, at the time I was, I, I don't know, 16, 17. So I was like very excited, uh, right in my wheelhouse. I <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to, that wasn't an old moment. I wasn't trying hey, to, you, trying you, to make you are you young. Bad, it's but, a young moment. You're, you're young. I'm not old. You're yeah, just young. Exactly. I'm, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a youngling, but after the game, I mean, it was like a 45 to like 13 absolute ass kicking. You mm. guys destroyed Jacksonville that day. Good. And to the point where all of the starters were out of the game with like six minutes left in the fourth quarter, I went down to the uh, kind of the edge of the barrier right there that separates the sidelines, uh, the bleachers and, you know, the, the stands. And Dante Robinson just gave me his gloves. I was like, oh, yeah, can I have your gloves? Hey. And he just tossed it. Yeah, so I've got his gloves in my closet. That's <laughs> so, so crazy. I know, right? Well, yeah, so I, I was like, oh, what's up? Your gloves. <laughs> my my co-host has your gloves. He, you dropped them. <laughs> yeah, there That's you crazy. go. So we, we're coming full circle. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was... All right, so Isaiah Oliver, I think we... I Like, I could see him kind of almost being the new version of Ricardo Allen. Yeah. Where his Ricardo value is really... Not what he brings on the field. It is what he brings on the field, but it's not stuff that you can see. Yeah, it's it he is the communication. It's yeah. the it's he's a glue guy. He's a glue guy. It like he's he's just you need people like that to really win championships because they yep. kind of free up your athletes to go be athletes because they can handle a lot of the processing and tell everybody yep. where to go. So. I, I think Isaiah Oliver, I'm all for bringing him back. I think the real question when we look at the defensive side of the ball, pass rusher aside, because, I mean, obviously, that's a that's a whole damn podcast. We may we may just need to dedicate a whole podcast to how oh, to fix the Falcons pass rush um, as if we know the answer. But <laughs> I think linebacker is really the has been the engine of Atlanta's defense the past three or four years, you know, it's, it's really with Devondre Campbell, Foye Lewican, Deion Jones, obviously Devondre is not here anymore, but that's really been kind of the strength for this defense. Deion Jones slipped a little bit this year. I, th I think that's safe to say. And I, I can't tell if it was athletically. I can't tell if it, I really think it was scheme wise, but I'm just curious what you saw from Deion, especially with the context that Foye by all intents and purposes, like broke out this year. He yeah. was the star linebacker for this team. I mean, how do you feel about those two guys particularly? I always wonder, because uh, I guess for several reasons, guys aren't as forward with their health situations, uh, unless it's yeah. advantageous to them, um, especially in the last couple of years. But I feel like he played hurt because he just didn't seem like he was moving like, he, used he was it last missing year. tackles. And he was it missing was, a lot of tackles. It was I, weird. Yeah, I don't know if like his shoulder was hurt or you know right. he had a, a, a limp leg. And because I've had those moments where I've had to, to psych myself out to where my shoulder is killing me, and when I'm blocking, I always want to position them to go with my left shoulder because I know that's my good one or the one's not going to yeah. feel the pain. And even though like I, I'm, a, I'm a warrior out there, I'm still a human being. There's a small part of my mind said, "No, protect yourself." And so it's a you, lizard brain. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a last second. You kind of subconsciously change how you play the game in order to protect yourself, even though you you have that warrior mentality. You know, I don't well, care. Well, it'd be I'm like being an actor. It's like yeah. being an actor on screen, and if you have to do a take where somebody slaps you, you can only do the first take correctly. 
because yeah. every other take you're gonna flinch. <laughs> and even if you yeah. like, even if you're sitting there saying to yourself like, "Don't flinch, don't flinch," you cannot help it. It's literally impossible. So yeah, I mean, that, like that's you're hurt, dog. To quote Ed Reed, you know, maybe he's not hurt. Maybe maybe he's not hurt. He just backslid because right. he couldn't understand the system or he couldn't get get a, a, a hold of um you know what Dean Pease wanted him to do but or maybe the well, system didn't put him in like it didn't use him to his strengths to be it, fair but, to him yeah. true absolutely but um like you mentioned there are things that you know it, it just wasn't Dion like from the missed tackles right. to not being in position to you know ducking his head sometimes not seeing what he hits and it was just strange because you knew him as such a knockout hitter as such a uh, a stalwart and again he's he had a good season just not as good as he's had in previous years you know, well, one of the things yeah one of the things Tori and I talked about was kind of like by week six you're sitting there kind of looking at the stats and Foye and Dion were sixth and seventh for like most tackles in the league so like statistically he's right up there yeah but it didn't feel like he was making the the, the Dion Impact. plays but we always still Im- expected it to be kind of the next game that he was going to have that 60 yard pick six mm-hmm. and, and make that Dion play. And, and Tori was like, exactly. That's kind of what it felt like all season was sure. You look at the end of the, the day of the stat sheet, 12 tackles, one tackle for a loss, like not a bad day at the office, but it, it just didn't seem like when you watched him snap to snap, he was making the same level of impact. And another thing with that was that we were so bad. We needed such big plays out of him. Yeah. <laughs> so the expectations was through the roof. It wasn't a just be a role player. We needed him to be a star. We needed him to be a yeah. superstar, pro bowl, all pro, just, you know, ball hawk that was doing the type of things that you would ask a, a, a Ray Lewis or, you know, uh, you know, uh, any type of big the Bobby Wagner. Uh, yeah. yeah. Big name to, to do. And, we weren't getting, even though we were getting, you know, decent tackles. And that's sometimes that was just because our defensive line was terrible and they were getting through with him. Boy, it was just racking up. It's like, it's, it's, it's a good and bad thing. You're leading the league in tackles because our defense is on the field all the damn time. You can't get a three and out. That's why you're leading the league in tackles. Uh, but at least when the opportunity presents itself, you make them. So, uh, so no, Dion and Foyer, I, I would hope that they played off each other and kind of motivated each other to, to, to be at their best. Uh, you know, kind of like you wanted uh, CP and, and Mike Davis to, and we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, I, I just really feel like Boye separated himself this year uh, as the elite linebacker of the two, and you wouldn't have thought that a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, he was the one making the plays <laughs> that yeah. that we expect from Dion. You know, those big interceptions, Josh Allen, uh, you know, against Buffalo, like the the big kind of momentum changing plays. Boy, he was the one making them this year. But let's real quickly, um, before we get out of here, flip over to the offensive side of the ball. You brought up uh, Cordero Patterson, Mike Davis. What do you think they should do at the at the running back position? And then also as kind of a corollary to that, how highly do you rank now, given the Calvin Ridley rumors that you know they may want to part ways? Again, those are just rumors. <laughs> like literally, yeah. cannot stress that enough. But if that happens, let's say a Calvin Ridley less Falcons team, where does like more help on the outside then rank for you in terms of off season needs? Because I think it would shoot up pretty high where if Calvin Ridley's in the fold, it may not be so running backs. And then I guess outside help. Um, 
it all depends on, on what CP wants to do or what we want to do with CP. If, if he gets offers yeah. to uh, get paid $9 million, $10 million for a year because somebody's just in love with the Debo Samuels S type of uh, ability yeah. brings to the game. And we can't match that because of our cap situation. Then we're screwed. We, then we definitely are to take Mike that's, Davis. We, that's we, a we, great point. Yeah. That's actually a great, like the better San Fran, if San Francisco wins the Super Bowl, Cordero Patterson is making three more million dollars. Like guaranteed. everybody wants the poor man's Debo Samuels. And yep. you know, that's it, it, not even a slight to him because Debo is just so he's younger. He's Cordero yeah, Patterson. Yeah, that's he's all younger. it is. Right. You know, but, but CP is amazing. And so if they do win, uh, they go far and they keep on highlighting how this dynamic wide receiver running back um, individual can be. Like he like, salted the game away last night. Yeah. Yeah, they, they just gave over. him the ball like every play in the fourth quarter was when he was amazing hurt. Amazing and fun to watch. And um, yeah. I, I think that that will put us in a rough situation because with Calvin Ridley, I really feel like the Falcons, Terry Fontenot, they don't want to deal with it because there's a chance that you get Calvin Ridley back. Oh, he's fine. He's okay. And he's not fine again. And he leaves again. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? I got to take care of myself. And you can't say no to that, obviously. But at the same time, you're taking a chance on a player that can leave you in a situation that you were in last year that, that well, but that's care. every team. Yeah. I mean, yeah like that, any that, team is going to have to, well, no teams can worry about just physicality. Oh, he can get injured, but for a team to worry about, Hey, he can get injured physically and injured mentally. And there's nothing we could like, there's nothing like, Hey, we can uh, limit his reps so we can do some rehab. There's nothing you could do about that. So that's a, a, a chance that I don't think Terry Fontenot wants to take. So uh, the the rumors, like we said, we don't know how true they are or not, but just by seeing how he he operates and his mindset, I would guess that he wants to find other ways to get a Calvin Ridley s type of talent without having Calvin Ridley there because of all the um, you know unknowns. Yeah, and I mean, I I think I I'll address the two parts of this because I I do believe and I've seen that teams are moving in the direction and really taking steps to address the mental side of a player's makeup as much as they are physical. You know, whether yeah. that be for purely selfish reasons for the team in terms of let's get as many mental reps through, um, you know, VR and stuff like that, or mm-hmm. whether it be, I don't know, practicing the brain to think properly in high stress situations, which yes. is something that players go through. I mean, they, they've got machines that really stress the brain and make you think on your feet. So I think that they are also moving in the direction of just like they've got rehab for physical injuries. I think they're making really big advance advancements in the mental side of, of mental health and and all of of those factors that a player will have to deal with because Calvin Ridley, I mean, I, you know, I know it's close to home and we talk about it from a Falcons perspective. This is a young star in the league who, Sat out pretty much most of the season for I, mental I, health I reasons. I thought like, that's a groundbreaking a NFL thing. Yeah, I thought I thought he'd come back in a week or two. It was just it's just crazy yeah. that you know it was really the majority of the season to where you know this this doesn't happen every year. But now right. teams have to you know not put a contingency plan, but they need to try to be preemptive of things like this occurring by like you mentioned uh, taking advantage of and you know strongly encouraging players to go through. Um, to therapy, to mental health screenings. Uh, yeah, know, I th- I like I think the best the best <laughs> way that they can help themselves is yeah. to help the player. 
Like, yeah. I don't think this needs to be a contingency, like, okay, pull ripcord if player backs out kind of deal. It's okay, well, what can you do to help the player not need to back out in the first place? And, you know, like the, give them the resources and, and things like that. But ownership needs to be on the player as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it needs absolutely. to be, it needs to come both ways. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think where, so where would, where would outside help for you rate if, if Calvin Ridley's not with the Falcons next year? <sighs> I hate to say this. I hate to say it because it's literally stabbing my my brothers in the back. Um, <laughs> running backs are easy to find, uh, easier to you find. You can make a case receivers yeah. are, are getting up there, though. Yeah, well, it, running backs are easier to find than receivers. And I, I feel like the the hardest thing to find is a guy like like Cordero Patterson, who could be, could be both, obviously. But if, if we have to make a decision we have to find a number one like julio left and we thought kyle pitts could be uh, uh the julio replacement and he kind of is you I know you can yeah the guy kind of is and so um I, it it makes you try to put kyle as that number one wide receiver and maybe just hope russell gage gets better but i, I don't want to do that as, as but a russ is fan, a free agent as well I, I know as a falcons fan i don't feel comfortable just like <laughs> Let's go ahead and run it back. Well, well, running it back got us in situations where our offense was stalled sometimes. You it's know? big Joe Horn vibes. Yeah, yeah it, it was stalled Fearless price. And I, I feel like we just need that Calvin Ridley-esque number one. You know, even when Calvin Ridley was here, he didn't quite get to Julio. The first couple games were like, hey, where's this? Uh, hey, Julio's gone. No problem because I can fill that hole, which is very difficult. But we thought Calvin Ridley would step it up game one, game two, game three. and. It I was never getting quite, ready to write a whole happened. piece like analyzing yeah. what, how he was being used in the offense because it, it wasn't, yeah, it hit, the production wasn't where we expected it to be and it, no. it felt like he wasn't like the focal point of the offense. I was and ready to write why, a whole piece and then he, and then he yeah. opted out. Yeah. That's why bringing Calvin Ridley back is not going to happen. It's, it's not. These, these rumors had probably something to it because uh, the common sense, you know, uh, GM Monday morning quarterback is going to say, this doesn't make sense for our, our offense. But like you mentioned, well, what do we do then? Um, Kyle Pitts is the number one receiver. Russell Gage, hopefully we pay him to stay here because he was good, but I don't know if he's good enough for to have teams offer him big, big, big money. I think having a guy who's grown with the, the organization stay here who yeah. we can get at, at a reasonable rate makes sense. So I think Russell well, I Gage... Told, I told Tori that like he reminds me of Tyler Boyd or yeah. up in Cincinnati, just uh-huh. like that type of player. And that's yeah. worth keeping around. Absolutely. I, I, absolutely. I, I think Russell Gage can be a great number two, but he, he's not a number one receiver. And we need to find that. And if, if Kyle Pitts can continue to um, be Kyle Pitts, uh, I think we're, we're in a good space. <laughs> so we, we we might just run it back and, and Kyle Pitts, Russell Gage, and, you know, keep, uh, you know, the, the, the other receivers we have, Alameda Zacchaeus and, you know, Tajay Sharp and uh, some guys who aren't going to be world beaters, but, they catch balls most of the time. I, I don't know, man. Like, it's, this, this is a hard <laughs> podcast because I don't have all the answers. And usually you yeah. do. I'm, I'm upset that you don't have all the answers. You're, you're the smart guy uh, in this group. <laughs> hey, man, we're just we're literally talking about nothing that is concrete for yes. six more months, which is the dumbest part when, of this. The dumbest I can't, part I can't of this wait until it becomes concrete. Like the draft is something with Terry Fontenot. Uh, at the helm yeah. is going to be we'll very, have to get him on. We'll have to get him on. You know, and, and he he did promise me at the Walter Payton of the Year uh, Award this year, where Mike Davis got it. Uh, I was like Terry, 
help me out. Our, <laughs> our buddy Steve Weiss was on stage and uh, was talking about some of the former Walt Payton Man of the Years who are here. He's an over Mahaley who, by the way, has an amazing podcast. You guys should check it out. And he, he pumped our podcast. <laughs> yeah. And so Ter- Terry Fontenot said, oh, he had Steve on your podcast. I was like, yeah, Steve was on it. And you got to get on it. So Terry has, uh, uh, I spoke to the Falcons people, their, um, their media, marketing, whatever staff. They said after the season, which is now. So I got to find a time oh, yeah. to grab him oh, before yeah. he gets well, crazy busy. We'll get him. We'll get him. Um, and that'll be huge because I, I agree with you. I think that it's, they may run it back. They may, but the draft is going to be the biggest area where they really can improve. And yeah. I, I think that given the number of free agents that they have, they have 28, like that's a large number. They're going to have to spend some money to re-sign some of their guys, and that's yeah. going to limit what they can do to bring new talent in. So again, it's going to be a draft-focused offseason, and I can't wait to kind of turn the page a little bit. I think that'll be in a couple of weeks. Once we, you know, once the Super Bowl kind of wraps up, that's when the NFL world really turns yeah. its attention over to, to draft season, and we will talk a lot more about the draft. We'll have awesome guests on, like, hopefully, Terry Fontenot, uh, to tell us, Live on air, who's going to be the number one pick for the Falcons? Um, <laughs> the exact name too. Yeah, so there like, you go. Somebody else going to take him and, and charge us for him. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna make a Julio like trade up to number one to get yeah. Aiden Hutchinson, and there you yeah. go, pass rush, baby. Um, <laughs> nope. Um, but anything else on your mind before we get out of here, Ovi? Nah, man. Um, I- I'm looking forward to this uh, uh, Super Bowl coming up. Uh, I, you know, Matthew yeah. Stafford being a, a Georgia guy, I hope that he wins and gets a chance to win his first divisional round. I mean, after playing for the Lions for so long, it's the the crazy fact that he's never won a divisional round playoff game. Uh, the, the year of the dog, right? man. Yeah, the year of the dog. It's the year of the dog, and, and I-, I enjoy watching Aaron Rodgers lose. I, I really enjoy that. <laughs> His face, he's so damn smug and, you know, I can do this and I'm always right. I, quarterbacks always think they're right, but he's just. Yeah, because you were on that 2010 team. Yes, I was oh. when he beat me. So him and his greasy hair can go sit down somewhere. <laughs> and uh, I'm perfectly happy with that. So, uh, uh, yeah, the playoffs have been fun. They've been exciting. I want to see Joe Burrow. Um, Dude, Joe, I love Joe. He's exciting. He's fun. I when he went to LSU, Joe. had that cigar. Such a cool ass dude. Just like, a cool right? vibe. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a guy that, that you want to hang out with. A guy that you it's like if Gardner with. Minshew had actually been really good at football. There, there you go. So <laughs> Joe Burrow and the Bengals. I mean, uh, I hate my Ravens aren't in it, but since they're not, I just like watching fun storylines. Joe Burrow's a fun storyline. Uh, the LA Jamar Rams. Chase, dude. Yeah, he's, yep. Jamar Chase is legitimately Great. like that dude now in the yes. league. Yes. Like so he's I, another DeAndre Hopkins, Mike yes. Evans, like that level of receiver. I, I want to see, speaking of Mike Evans, if Tom Brady and the Bucks are going to keep on moving forward because yeah. I, I I just, can you go back to back? I mean, this guy is like MVP caliber and he's not stopping. <laughs> is he going to buzz saw through anybody? If he gets hit, then it's done. It's like the Giants where they, he gets hit, it's over. Yeah, yeah. So lots of good football, lots of good games. I was considering going to the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago. Uh, not with this uh, Omarion Omicron uh, variant. I'm going to stay home. I already got COVID. Yeah, stay away from the Cron, dude. Yeah, I, I don't want to <laughs> catch it again and bring it to my family. So uh, I'm, I'm going to chill here and watch it. But I'm looking forward to football uh, this offseason. All right. No Omi for Ovi and yep. some playoff football in your future. I'm I'm very excited. We've got Sunday's games kicking off here in a couple of hours as yep. we are wrapping up today's podcast which was brought to you by bet online 
And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that'll do it. I think big stuff coming, coming uh, down the pipe every Monday is, is when you will get a new Believe in Falcons on your feed. So please tell everybody where they can find us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please rate and review. Five stars uh, only. Only five stars. <laughs> OV only. requests. He demands the five stars. I demand it. Or were you a five sad. star? Were you a five star recruit no, coming out of high school? Shit. I was a no star. <laughs> uh, I had one scholarship offer, and thank God, a Division One school, Wake Forest. Uh, no one go. wanted me. Like, oh, sorry, the Citadel wanted me. Like, I had like uh, Charleston Southern. I got a lot of D three offers. Don't wrong. make this podcast an OV. Yes, exactly. <laughs> five stars only. <laughs> exactly. Let's do that. <laughs> all right. Well, we're we're rising from the ashes, just like one Ovi Mahaley, all pro fullback uh, for the NFL. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, and as always, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.